First Thessalonians. What I want to talk about uh, in the time we've got here is, um, probably sounds a little bit unusual to start with, but bear with me. Uh, what happens when Satan decides to stick his ugly face into our life? That's the title for the talk. Uh, and can I defend my position? Can I defend my belief? Can I defend the commission that the Lord's given unto me? Am I able to stand firm? And the I is me, but the I is you also. This is a time to ask ourselves these questions. We'll start here in First Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll read in verse 4. And it says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. And so we've been given this commission. There's, there's no greater uh, honour on the face of the earth than to be given the gospel, to be given the authority to preach the gospel, to be given the authority to encourage one another in the ways of the Lord. And that's been given to each and every one of us doesn't matter whether we're brother or a sister or what age we are. We were filled with the Holy Spirit. We're given the same transformation and we've been given the same conviction and the same calling. We won't turn there, but if you're taking notes in Galatians uh, 1 uh, verses 10 through 11 also, it mentions the fact uh, that the, the enemy will come. He comes from time to time into our life. We heard our brother uh, testify of challenges in his life. We heard our sister testify of the uh, huge changes that took place in her life from one uh, religion, if you like, that she might find the truth. And of course, family. Uh, we all, unless you grew up in the Lord, the great challenge is the first thing we've got to do. We've got to be able to defend the gospel to ourselves. You know, we're the first person that we defend our position to. And then for those of us that came to the Lord, then you've got to go home and tell your parents. And you think they're going to be thrilled, you know? I heard, <laughs> praise the Lord, at least we told them. And I've been able to defend my position uh, for nearly 42 years. And I look around and I see people uh, that have done it for far longer than that. And the encouragement is no matter what age, there is no other answer. We stand firm in the things of God. we go to First Peter chapter 5. And here in just a couple of verses here again. In verse 7 it says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so the Lord's told us quite clearly that the enemy will try and win us back. He, he had us by proxy to start with. We had no choice in that. Uh, but once we heard the, the gospel, we had a choice to repent and to believe the gospel and to experience this amazing transformation that we've all been uh, given this wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and we know that we're going to be challenged, but can we defend our position? Uh, and I guess that's what I want to look at here as we talk today. Uh, again, if you're taking some notes, uh, in James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, look those verses up later. But we'll go to Genesis chapter 2 to, to start what I want to look at here. If you haven't been challenged lately, just get a number and stand in the queue because it's going to happen. 
<clears throat> comes in all forms, uh, all sorts of forms that, uh, that the challenges will come. And of course, here there's a story that we know very well. We'll start for time in Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 7, and it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man, or this man, became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden in eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And just down to fifth, uh, verse 15 for time, it says, And the Lord took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eat thereof thou shalt surely die. And so the Lord gave him this instruction. He gave him this directive, if you like, this what God expected of him in this amazing situation uh, that he found himself in. Just see where my notes are here. Uh, we'll go over to chapter 3. So this is what Adam needed to defend. He needed to defend the understanding that he was not to take of the fruit of this tree. That's what he had to stand on. That's what he needed to defend himself against. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said... Pages are sticking together. There we go. Just move this. Uh, shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, this is the first mistake, she engaged him. She should have gone back and done, done some knitting or something. You know, but she engaged him on this fact. And that's how we can find ourselves, you know, when we get some challenge, some difficulty and so forth, we, we might ponder it and think about it and all this instead of just praying and seeking the Lord, uh, getting to just get with somebody and chat and pray with them and so on, whatever it might be around the circumstances that come to face us. But the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. That's not what God told Adam, not word for word. And so already either Adam didn't tell her properly or she didn't listen properly. But I praise the Lord that within this fellowship from the platform and all the encouragement we get is from the word of God. And so it's up, up to us always to continue uh, to say that and it's up to each and every one of us to listen to that. And all the people said, and we won't find any problem then. The serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. <laughs> That's unbelievable, isn't it? You know, you don't have to speak in tongues. You don't have to do this. God doesn't do this, that, whatever it is. It's, it's just wrapped up in different paper. It's the same thing regardless of the generation. For God doth know that in the day thereof, then shall your eyes be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And how many times have we heard that? Oh, there's more. You know, there's better. There's this. There's that. There's everything else. Well, my Bible says I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. My Bible says I'm complete in Christ. So there isn't more, and all the people said. We learn more, of course. We grow more, of course. But we are complete the moment the Lord fills us with the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, was pleasant to the eyes, the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. 
And when they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. You know, we could read on, we know the story very well. But all of a sudden, I've, I've said before, that one moment this is pure bliss, and the next moment it's a train wreck, because they didn't listen to God, you know. I don't know what the reasons were, whether the story wasn't told properly, whatever it was, but all of a sudden they knew they were naked when they didn't know that before, and they've gone and hid themselves from the presence of God. And then everybody gets blamed, and in the end it's God's fault because he gave Eve to Adam, you know. And that's how it can end up. It's just a, just a great shame. And so Adam didn't defend his position very well. He's the first example that we've got. We'll go to the book of Job, Job chapter 1. Just the first verse here in Job chapter 1 says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and assured evil. And so we can see there where straight away we get this wonderful description about this man called Job. In verse 6 it says, Now uh, he was uh, sorry. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came along also, like he came along for the ride, you know. And as we say, it's just common knowledge that from time to time in our lives he'll come along for the ride and it depends what we're going to do about it. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear thee for naught? Hast thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And of course in the next chapters we're able to read all about it. But the challenge there was that there was this hedge about Job. That's what he said, you've got him contained and hedged and I can't touch him or affect him. And what God says, I'll take away the barriers, I'll take away the fence, only you can't hurt him. And of course we read all about it throughout those pages. If we just go over to uh, chapter 42, it's a great read, Job. There's plenty of really, really interesting stuff there. But we get to the end of the story, chapter 42, verse 10, and it says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends also, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. He was a faithful man. He didn't curse God. If you've read the book, and I'm sure we all have many times, he went through some awful situations, lost everything, uh, but to the end he just stood with the Lord and he just loved the word and he just stayed truthful to his calling. So he was able to defend his position and his calling that God had put him in. Let's go to um, Matthew chapter 3. Here we're going to read about the only begotten Son of the Lord, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to read here in chapter 3 of Matthew and from verse 13. It says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptised of him. But John forbade him, saying, 
I have need to be baptised of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer or allow it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfil all righteousness. Then he suffered him or allowed him. And Jesus, when he was baptised, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And praise the Lord the day that we received the Holy Spirit, however long ago it was, wherever it was, and whatever age you were, the voice came from heaven, declaring, This is my beloved Son or daughter, in whom I am well pleased. The Lord Jesus put the framework in place, and of course we are able to follow. The next thing, then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, straight away. You know, Jesus has given us the way that we he didn't need to be born again. He showed us the way and so forth to be born again. He spoke about it. He lived his life about these things. But as soon as the transformation, if you like, the model of the transformation took place, then he comes to stick his ugly face into the situation again. And when he had fasted 40 days, says Jesus, and 40 nights, he was afterwards and hungered. And when the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said unto him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city, setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of... What a challenge! Unbelievable! If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. And then he quotes scriptures. You know, and we get that so often from people. They'll quote scriptures uh, to defend their position of error about whatever it might be. And he said, It is written, He shall give the angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time they dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him to an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and all the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. And praise the Lord, if we resist the devil, he'll flee from us, the Bible says, and we'll be ministered to, we'll be encouraged, we'll be edified, we'll be uplifted, everything that we need. Let's look around the room here. People have overcome challenges over and over again in their walk in the Lord. And when you share the testimony with it, it's a wonderful encouragement for us all. Just one verse down in verse 17. After these challenges, after this time, 40 days of prayer and fast and so forth, we read in verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This opportunity, this time that would come upon his death when the Holy Ghost would be poured out, was at hand, and he began his ministry here. So we can see how Jesus resisted, Jesus stood, Jesus could answer and defend his position. He was obedient unto death. It says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. We'll go to um, John, Gospel of John, chapter 13. So from, from here over the next four chapters or so, some of the most 
beautiful things that are in the Bible. You know, it's the, the Last Supper, if you like, Jesus with his disciples. If you've got a red letter edition of your Bible, it's almost completely red letters through here. Every verse is a standalone verse, you know, that you could look into for hours about the things which Jesus said, about the things that he, he left for us or, or put in place for us and everything. But I want to read from chapter 13 and from verse 26. Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give the sop when I have dipped. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then did Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. No man at the table knew for what intent he spoke this to him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, and Jesus has said unto him, Buy those things which you have need of against the feast, or that you should give something to the poor. Then having received the sop, he went out, and it was night. And I love the way the King James is worded. It says, and it was night. And it quite likely was night. But he'd left the greatest light that ever been and walked into darkness by the decision that he made. He made that decision to hearken unto what he'd heard. This man had walked for three and a half years with Jesus, seen everything he did, heard everything he said, experienced the whole lot, and yet that's what happened. So I guess what we want to look at now is you and me. We've seen the only begotten Son of God who was able to stand against all things. We can see the, the first man that was given, if you like, true life when God created or formed this man from the dust of the ground. And we can see his genealogy back to the Lord, and he failed. So we were born as Adam, and we've been made like Jesus. And which way are we going to act? That's it, lock, stock and barrel. Which way are we going to act? If we're just losing our temper, if we've been told we have a terminal illness, if our best friend just left, whatever it might be, how are we going to act? Like Adam or like Jesus? We've got an incredible amount of encouragement here. Just want to have a look at a few little things to finish. Um, we'll go to, we'll have a look at John 3. I think it's always important to look at John 3. We must always assume there's people that are newer in our midst and need to hear some of these things. So here in John 3 it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. No way of having any perception, understanding, doesn't matter how long somebody studies, reads, does what they like about it, until we're born again, there's no way that we can have any comprehension about anything to do with God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Then Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh, our natural birth, is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, when we're born again, is spirit. Marvel not, don't be amazed, he says, that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And praise the Lord we have. And in that action, 
In that acknowledgement, when God answered with the voice that he gave to each and every one of us, we now have all the tools and all the power to defend our position no matter what. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. I love moving book syndrome. When you sit down there, you know where every book is. (laughs) You get up here and that's... And they go. <laughs> Must be back this way. There it is. Ephesians 6. And we'll start reading in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God. Why? That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I was talking to someone the other day and you know, they, you've got the Old Testament and so forth, a historical record of God's dealing with man, you know, the creation, everything, and the law and all those facets. So we've got, got the books there, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, where we're introduced with Jesus and we see his story, we see his life, everything about him. Then the Acts of the Apostles, as we see the conversion, the letters take place so we can defend our stand. And all the people said, that's why they're there. The Lord knew these challenges would come. And he wants every one of us, uh, brother or sister at any age, to understand what we've been given and to be able to defend ourselves at all costs. Yes, preach the gospel, but defending the gospel doesn't mean you getting someone into the baptism tank. That's between them and God. Are you going to tell them what they need to do? Are you going to tell them no matter what the cost is, what they need to do? That's the things that we've got to embrace and as I say, the first person we've got to convince is ourselves. And if we do that, we'll never have any trouble on any of these things. We'll read on. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. I love the way it just keeps repeating these words for us. Just stand. Just be rock solid in what we know and what we believe. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, having on the breast the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You've read your Bible. You know what the salvation message is. You're ready and you're convicted to share it with people. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench what? The fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit and the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication with the saints. And for me, he's writing for me, but for each and every one of us, for us, that utterance may be given unto us, that we may open our mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I, Paul writes, but it's you and me, are made ambassadors in bonds. He was in jail, but we can shackle ourselves, you know, with doubt and disbelief, and we don't ever want to do that. We want to be bold and confident in what the Lord has given us, therein we may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Colossians chapter 1, we read here in verse 10. He writes here that you might work, walk worthy. So, oh well, I say it over and over again, I harp, I guess, but uh, this is to the church in, in Colossae, but we're reading it, each and every one of us, whatever your name is, your Bible's on your lap and he's talking about you, that you might walk worthy 
of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which made us meet, to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness, and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. In whom? That's Jesus. It's the kingdom of his dear Son. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. We could read on. It's just beautiful stuff we could read on, uh, but we don't have time. Ephesians chapter 3, just got a couple to finish on here. You could stop anywhere in the scriptures. <coughs> Excuse me, and get encouraging stuff to remind ourselves uh, what we've been given. You know, we haven't got this airy fairy story. I used to run into Christians. That's why I had no time. Uh, I knew nothing about the Bible, and they'd tell me how great God was, and I could shoot them down with nothing. You know, and I thought, well, it can't be much of a God if I can destroy their their argument, their faith, their belief uh, with nothing. I didn't know any scriptures or anything. You know. But what have we been given? This amazing power and authority, this conviction that God put this message in your care and mine. It's just unbelievable. Here in chapter 3, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that's within us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. And I'd encourage everybody, just while we're talking, who will go to Colossians 4, uh, encourage everybody, I'm sure you do, but if you think you don't read your Bible enough, just get some way uh, of reading your Bible every day. You know, set yourself a target that you know that you can achieve and read your Bible every day. Read it out loud to yourself, encourage yourself in what you're hearing, talk about what you read with your brothers and sisters and so forth, Encourage each and every one of us every day uh, that we'll be able to stand and defend our position at all costs. Here in Colossians 4 and in verse 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which am I also in bonds, that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. And we love the opportunity to be able to, to speak and to talk to people and to be able to share this message with them because there was a time, uh, you know, my personal testimony without going into it was a time when I physically cried so much I had to be sedated. And when I came out of that time, I can still hear myself saying, God, if you're there, do something. 
and within a few days we were witness to, and as I say, the rest is history. Been able to walk in the truth for over 40 years now and thoroughly enjoyed every moment of it, even with the challenges, even every time Satan stuck his ugly face into my life, we were able to stand convicted on the things of God because he filled me with the Holy Spirit. We're going to finish in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing might be abundant in Christ, in Jesus Christ for me uh, by my coming to you again. And this is um, Paul, of course, writing to them. Only let your conversation or your life reflect this sort of thing. Let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come to see you or else absent, I might hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you the salvation that is of God. For unto you it is given, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And some of the stuff we go through is not pleasant, you know, whether it's think, trouble of the mind or things of the flesh, body that you know, our body and sickness or disappointment or whatever it might be. But it says in the last verse, it says, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. And so we've looked at just a few examples there. We could have looked at Paul also, you know, the things that were done to him, jailed and beaten and shipwrecked and all those sorts of things. And then he said, at my first call, no man stood with me. They all deserted him. Nevertheless, God stood with me. And that's our defense. No, one, no matter what is going on in our life, God will stand with us and will be victorious in all the people's lives.